We want to thank God for our Christmas concert last week. Um, you know, as uh, we have 200 volunteers, as we presented the program, I felt like it's truly the church coming together, serving the Lord together. So it's uh, with great joy that we celebrated Christmas. Today is our watch night service, our CPR. I'd like to encourage all of us to set aside the time to attend. Uh, to me, you know, having all these regular um, different milestones or meetings is an opportunity for us to be reminded of God's work in our lives. So really, I think coming for watch night is, is a discipline or a habit where we are willing to set aside the time to think about this past year, what God has done, and to really consecrate uh, 2024, the year ahead to the Lord. Okay, so today maybe I can also not just encourage you to come, but also challenge when you share the testimony, don't just share about what God was, has been doing in your life, but really through the church. Because I feel like each of us is a part of a jigsaw puzzle. If we all come out and tell a little bit of the story of what God has been doing through QBC, then we get the full picture and of what God is doing and we glorify God. Alright, so I encourage you all to come tonight at 8pm. As we come to the end of this year, we will end the year of this message, the heart of the Father. So let us pray. Holy Spirit, we commit this time to you. I pray that you will move mightily, that truly we understand what it means to come back to the heart of the Father. Once again, we will see Christ glorified and lifted up. We pray all this in Jesus' name. You know, John Trent, he was speaking at a retreat about the importance of words of affirmation and encouragement. Midway through, a lady pulled him aside and says, you know, I got to tell you this story. My son has two daughters, my granddaughters, one that's five years old and the other in a terrible tooth. Now, my son has been bringing the older daughter once a month for a father-daughter date, but I've never brought the younger one until this past week. They went to a restaurant, ordered breakfast, settled in, and then he said to her, he says, Jenny, I want you to know that you're so precious to daddy and mommy. Waited for a few years for you, we prayed for you, and here you are now, and we are so proud. And then, he cut up the, the pancakes and lifted up the fork and was about to put it in his mouth, and his daughter tucked at him and said, Longer, daddy, longer. So the dad looked at her pleading eyes and put down the fork, and he continued to affirm her. Then he finished, he took up the fork, so to feed himself. When his daughter pulled at his hands again and says, Daddy, longer, Daddy, longer. And again, he put down his fork and continued to affirm her. Now this went on for three times, four times, five times. That morning, my son didn't get much to eat, but my granddaughter got her nourishment for emotional needs. So much so yesterday, she ran up to the mother and says, Mommy, Mommy, I know I'm precious to you because Daddy told me so. You know, when I heard this story, I'm reminded that how many of us wish the people that we love, we respect, were important in our lives, would affirm us and encourage us, and we can say, longer please, longer. But more so, how many of us need to come home to the Father and hear His words of affirmation, where there we find security, love, and affirmation. And we don't need to run to some faraway places to find ways and means to prove and validate the purpose of our existence, that we are worthy to be loved. So as I was praying today, what should we share? Coming to the end of 2023. The whole year, our theme is on outreach 
driven by the love of God. And so we talked about the greatest love story ever told, right? From the Old Testament, we saw from creation to Christ, God's entire redemptive story. He's only doing one thing throughout history, and that is to reconcile us to Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we can become children of God, so that we can come home to the Father. So I think it's appropriate to talk about this as we come to the end of this year. From the parable of the prodigal son, we'll see three kinds of hearts. First, the hearts of the sons. The hearts of the sons. Secondly, the heart of the father. And finally, our hearts. Okay, so let us turn our Bibles to Luke 15. The familiar parable. The heart of the sons is a heart to come home. That means to repent, to turn back to the Father. Jesus told this story. A man has two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Now to the Jewish person, uh, there are a few things shocking about this story. Firstly, that the son would actually make this request. No son would do that because essentially you're cursing your father to die. Essentially, he's saying, Father, quickly die, give me my share. But what's more astonishing is that the father actually agreed. He didn't kick his son out or kill his son. He agreed. So he divided it up into how many shares? Three shares, right? Because the older son gets double portion and the younger son gets one. So the younger son got his estate and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he has spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country and he began to be impoverished. He used up everything, then there was a famine. He was desperate. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country. He went to work for this person. They sent him into the fields to feed pigs, swine. He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pots of the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. To a Jewish person, this is shocking because you know pigs are dirty. They keep away from them, but this younger son was so desperate, he wanted to eat the food of the pigs. And then he woke up. He came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But here I am dying with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of the hired men. And so he got up and came to his father. The verb, I will get up, is the turning verb. It turns, he repents and turns toward the father. But realize he was in the pit of his life. And in the depths of his depravity, he remembered one thing. His identity as a son. Even though he no longer had the dignity of a son, he remembered his identity. Otherwise, why would he think about going home to his father, right? He could have easily said, I would go home to my father's rich neighbor and offer to work for him because go home, I know face. But he didn't. He says, I go home to my father. Why? Because he remembers his identity. No matter how far we are from God, if we listen carefully, even if we have lost our dignity, we remember we are still a child of God. We remember we are still made in the image of God. Our life has value. 
The younger son was lost. He had a heart of rebellion. He felt he didn't need God. He can justify and redeem himself. Do we feel that way? That we can redeem ourselves by finding ways and means to fill this need in our hearts, through our careers, through love, family, children, achievements, to prove the worth of our existence, to prove that we are worthy to be loved. In essence, we are saying, I can redeem myself. That's the problem with the younger son. The younger son was lost, but you know the older son was equally lost. The son had to turn back, but so does the older son. So he went back to the father, there was a reconciliation and a party was thrown and then the older son came home. He was in the field after working hard for a long day. He came back and he heard, he approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He began summoned, he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. Right? He heard all this music. What is it? There hasn't been dance and music for a long time since my brother left. The servant said to him, your brother has come, your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Normally as the elder brother, he would go out to look for the younger brother. Normally when the younger brother comes home, he should be happy. So the servant thought he would be happy. So excitedly he told him, your, your brother came back. But instead, the young, older brother became angry. He was not willing to go in. His father came out and began pleading to him. The father had to go out to look for the younger son. And here the father has to go out to look for the older son. They were equally lost. He said to his father, Look, look, for so many years I've been serving you, I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate my friends. Look, old man, I'm the good one. I stayed at home. I served you, but you've never given anything to me. Life is unfair. And this son of yours, not my brother, it's like when we have argument with your spouse, it's your children, not my children, right? This son of yours came who devoured your wealth with prostitute and you killed the fattened calf for him. You never given me one small calf, you give me the, gave him the fat calf, it's unfair. Why is it the fattened calf? Because they usually will fatten one particular calf for the whole year so that they can slaughter it and eat it to celebrate. This past uh, mission trip to Sarawak at a longhouse, you know, at morning we'll hear this, this snorting sound, you know, and then we followed it and we discovered it's a huge pig. So they said, you know, they have been raising it for 10 months to wait for Christmas so they can kill it and the whole longhouse of 50 families can eat the meat. You know, a family, they won't kill a fat calf, you know, it's expensive. It needs the whole village to come together to celebrate. And so this was a special one they set aside to celebrate and this was the time to celebrate. You see, the younger son's problem was a heart of rebellion. The older son's problem was a heart of resentment. He feels that life is unfair and he feels that he can redeem himself too. Just as the younger son feels, I can redeem myself, I can be my own saviour. The older son says, I can redeem myself based on my good works. I'm good. You should accept me. You should reward me. But you didn't. But the gospel says we cannot do good to save ourselves. That is why this theologian John Gertzner says, the thing that really separates us from God is not so much our sin, but our damnable good works. 
If we want to go by good works, the measure is perfection because God is perfect. Scripture tells us none of us can do it. That is why we need a Redeemer. That is why we need a Saviour, Jesus, to die in our place. But if we feel that I am good enough to be accepted by God, I can redeem myself, then we will never turn to the Saviour. So, what is it like to be this elder son? Firstly, there's a sense of self-righteousness. I'm good enough. You're constantly comparing with others and feeling like life is unfair. God has shortchanged you and you are angry. Like the older brother, right? You didn't even give me one calf, but you gave him that big fat lamb to, for, to my younger brother. It's unfair. But actually, life is not really that unfair, right? I mean, the older brother was living at home. His life was so much, so much better than the younger brother. Correct? But he didn't see it. He only saw his own bitterness. God is unfair to me. No, are we like that? We can't count our blessings. We can't see the blessings God has given us. We only see what I don't have. I don't have that job. I don't have that recognition. I don't have someone to love me. I don't have this. I don't have that. God is unfair. Life has shortchanged me. Secondly, the elder brother did it out of obedience, of obeying out of duty rather than love. The Christian faith, our emphasis is not so much what we do, even though that's important, but our motivation of doing it. We do it out of gratitude and love. But this older brother says, I've slaved myself for you, Father. To him, the commands are heavy, it's a duty. It's not out of love or gratitude. And so for us, you know, when we serve at church, when we choose to obey God and do the right thing, is it out of gratitude and love or is it out of duty? I need to do this, I should do this, so I just do it. Finally, there's no joyful assurance. All we have is a religion but not a relationship. We are not assured of our relationship with God and so we cannot be joyful. Not only that, we cannot be joyful for other people, you know, when something good happens to someone, your siblings, your colleagues, you feel envious. You're unable to be joyful for them because in your heart of hearts, you're insecure. And so Tim Keller, on reflection of this story, he says, in the older brother's heart, there is no dance in the heart of this elder brother about his relationship with the father. He has never had a party. He has never asked for a party because beneath it, he's not, not only doesn't Love, he, he not only doesn't love the Father, but he's not really sure where he stands with Him. We need to come home to the Father. It's at home that we find assurance, love, and affirmation. What is home to you? Home is where we find a sense of security. Home is where we are loved. Home is where we hear the Father's voice. The further we leave home, the fainter His voice. But friends, no matter how far you have gone, if we choose to listen carefully, we will hear the Father's voice. His voice to affirm us, to call us back to Him, and we will say, longer, Father, longer. The hearts of the sons are hearts of repentance, a need for repentance, a need to come home. Secondly, the heart of the father is the heart to bring the children home. 
The younger son says, he thinks to himself, I'm, no, he, I'm going home, I will tell my father I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of the hired men. So he got up, came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, ran and embraced him and kissed him. Notice all the verbs, they are proactive. It's not passive. God or the father takes all the initiative. He saw, he felt, he ran, he embraced his kiss. But why is it from a long way off, the father saw the son? Because every day, he stood there looking out for his son. For that one day, that, just that one day that the son might come home. No matter how far you think you have ran away, how far you feel like God has abandoned you and you're all alone, you're not. Our Father is looking out for us, waiting for us to turn around. All it takes is to turn around and He runs towards us. You know, ancient Near Eastern culture, elderly men don't run, they walk. Because it gives them a sense of dignity. So running in this place, and to run, you know, they, are, they don't wear pants, right? he has to pull up his, their rope and start running like a clown. The Father is throwing aside His dignity it is His grace that He runs towards us. That's the Father's heart to bring His children home. A home where we can experience His presence and affection. The Son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your Son. But the Father said to His slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robes, put it on Him. Put on the ring and the sandals on His feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. The father celebrates the return of the son. This is to the younger son, but to the older son. Older son was angry, not willing to go back home. The father came out and began pleading with him. Just as he went out to the younger son, he goes out to the elder son. He didn't say, older son, you should know better. You are the good one. All your life you've been saying, you should know better why you're behaving this way. No, he ran out, he went out to the elder son also. <clears throat> the son says, you know, I've been with you all this while, you didn't give me anything. But the father says, son, you have always been with me and all, all that is mine is yours. And that's true, right? Because, you know, the younger son never taken his share, so whatever left behind really is his. He just never realized. And the father says, it's all yours. But we have to celebrate and rejoice in this case because your brother was dead. He reminded him, remember, he said, this son of yours, he said, the brother of yours, this brother, not just my son, it's your brother, is dead and has begun to live, was lost and has been found. He realized this is repeated twice in this story. Right? The father's heart is... He wants His children to come home. Whether we are far away from home or whether we are at home, He wants us to come back to His heart. Question is, why did Jesus tell this parable? Now, He didn't just tell one parable in Luke 15. He told three, right? Because in the first verse of Luke 15, the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Him to listen to Him. Both Pharisees and scribes began to grumble. This man receives sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees and scribes were the religious leaders of the Jewish people. 
They knew God wanted them to be holy, but to be holy means they are separate from themselves, themselves from unholy people, the tax collectors and sinners. And they're implying, why is Jesus accepting them? He should be keeping, his, uh, keeping himself away from them. But he receives them. Why? Doesn't he know better? And so Jesus told three stories to bring out his main point. And there's a repeated point. The first story, a hundred sheep, one got lost. The shepherd actually abandons all 99, you know, and went to look for the one. When the one was found, there was great rejoicing. The second story, the 10 coins, one was lost. The woman desperately searched for that one and is found. When there's found, there was great rejoicing, a repeated pattern. Something lost, something found, great rejoicing. The third story, a son was lost. He was found and there was great rejoicing. Why? Because it is to bring out the main point, which is the father's heart of compassion towards the lost. The father's heart to bring his children home. And Jesus was a master storyteller. You know, some people would say, this is a sight. They would say, when we preach, just teach the Bible. Don't tell so many stories. But you know, that's not how Jesus preached, right? He told many stories and he was a master teller. Repeated the story, the pattern three times and intuitively we get it. There's great rejoicing. And then, it gets more and more valuable from one sheep to one gold coin to one son, a human being. From one out of hundred to one out of ten to one out of two, increasing importance. So the whole story brings to a climax in the parable of the prodigal son. And it should have ended when the prodigal son came home. Something lost, something found, great rejoicing, right? So the lost son was found and there was great rejoicing. And then suddenly we have the last five verses on the elder son. Why? It breaks the pattern because... Jesus was trying to answer these people. He says, the Pharisees and the scribes are like the eldest son. They stayed home. They had the law of God. They had the festivals and feasts of God. They worshipped God. But he asked them, do you truly know the heart of God? Do you understand God's compassion for the lost? You are the eldest son. How would you respond? Would you go in and join the party or not? You see, of all the identity our Creator has, the one He chose to reveal Himself to us is the Father. Why? As a father, I'm sure He would love to exercise His authority to keep His children home, to protect them, so where they can enjoy His presence and His affection, to have a close relationship with Him. They can sit the son down and tell him, or the children down and tell them, you know, you do this, there are consequences, it's wrong. Don't. He would love to do that. But what He, he wanted most is our love. And to have true love, there must be freedom. That is why when He created Adam and Eve, God gave them freedom to choose. Imagine if your children are a robot, every time you come home, they walk to you, I love you. Would you want that? I mean, that's not true love, right? True love must have true freedom. But that also means we are free to accept God's love or to reject it. It also means we are free to stay home or to leave home. That's why Keller, on his reflection of this story, Keller Nowen, uh, no, Henry Nowen, when he reflected on this story, he says, the father's heart knows all the pain that will come from the choice of the younger son. His love makes him powerless to prevent it. You imagine we always ask, God is so powerful, why did he allow this happen? Why didn't he prevent it? But really, 
what he's saying from this parable is that it is because of God's love he gives freedom. And because of that freedom, he's powerless to prevent us from choosing to sin. As a father, he desires that those who stay at home enjoy his presence and experience his affection. But here again, he wants only to offer a love that can be freely received. The source of God's divine suffering is His immense divine love. Why should God, our Creator, suffer? Friends, it's because He loved us so immensely, He chose to give us freedom. The Father's heart is to bring the children home. It's at home where we know we don't have to prove our worth. We don't have to try to strive to prove to others we are worthy to be loved, to prove the purpose of my existence. We are loved, we are affirmed. As a pastor, I talk to many different kinds of people. Some are really successful, very gifted. Some are really, really good looking. Some are rather wealthy. And all these people, they have every condition to succeed in life and to have a happy life. But you know, when we peel back our external appearances, including all of us here, there is a heart that is unaffirmed. There is a heart that is insecure. A heart that thinks, if somebody truly knows me, they will not love me. They will not give me applause. They will not accept me. And so we go by all ways and means to prove that we are worthy to be loved. We decorate this external self so that we can show people, you know, I'm worthy. In essence, we are trying to redeem ourselves. But God says, come home. Come home where we can hear His voice to say you are loved, you are worthy, you are affirmed. And all we need to say is longer, daddy, longer. The heart of the sons, a heart in the need for repentance, a heart to come home to the father. The heart of the father then is to bring the children home. And so we ask ourselves, how about our heart? Our hearts today is to be like the father's heart. It means to grieve, to forgive, to be generous. You know this story, the prodigal son, it ends with the story of the elder son, right? The father says you should rejoice because your brother is lost and he came home. But then there's no response. We don't know whether the brother actually went home or not, right? It ends with this scene in the field, the conversation with father and son. We don't know what was his response. We don't know whether the scribes or Pharisees understood Jesus' point and responded some did, but we know later they didn't because they nailed him to the cross. So why isn't there an ending? Why he didn't talk about the elder son, whether he decided to go in or not? Well, it is to draw us, the modern day readers, into the story because we will provide the response. The whole story is about the father's heart. And so, what is your heart like? There was this wealthy man. His only, child called, only son called Mark. They will go all around the world to collect all these paintings, very expensive paintings. And his collection was worth millions and millions. One day the war broke out and so his son went to fight the war and a few months later he received news that his son was killed. His whole world collapsed. Every day he walked through the empty halls of the big house lined up with all these expensive paintings on the corridor. But they were just a painful and cruel reminder that his son is not coming home anymore. One day, someone knocked on the door. It was a soldier. 
The soldier said, I know Mark. And so he came in and they shared, he shared his story about what Mark, his son, did. He said his son saved many lives, including his own. And then at the end, this soldier said, you know, I'm also an artist. And so I have a gift for you. He unpacked the package and it was a portrait of Mark. You know, the soldier says, you know, I know compared to all these paintings that you have, this is worthless. But I hope you can keep this as a gift. And indeed, while the man had many famous paintings, very soon, the picture of his son Mark became the centerpiece of his collection. A year later, he died. There was a stir in the art world because he was, there was going to be a public auction of his collection. And so all his collectors were excited. They flew in on the day, you know, there's a lot of chattering, look, they were examining each picture, how much they would bid for it. And the auction began. The first piece that was sold was the picture of Mark. And the auctioneer said, the starting bid is $100. And you know, there was complete silence. No one wanted to bid for that picture. After a while, a voice came back from the back of the hall that said, let's move on to the other paintings, the real treasures. Those are why we came for, not for this picture. But auctioneer said, you know, according to the will, the first picture that must be sold must be the picture of his son. And so again, there was silence. After a while, the old caretaker said, I watched Mark grow up from a little boy. Let me buy this painting, but I only have $10. So auctioneer went, $10 going once, going twice, sold. And there was a huge applause there was excitement. They said, finally, the real auction will begin. And to their surprise, the auctioner announced, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming to this auction. We have come to the end of it. And there was an uproar that says there's still millions and millions of dollars worth of paintings. And the auctioneer said, according to the will, whoever gets the sun gets it all. Once upon a time, our creator said, Whoever gets my son, gets it all. For what profits a man to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Once upon a time, God unveiled His redemptive plan, the seed of the woman who will come to save all of mankind, the Saviour, who will come to die in our place that when we trust, put our faith in Him, we become children of God. You know, Jesus is the ultimate prodigal son. He left his home, his father's home, came to a foreign land, gave up everything, suffered humiliation and pain, and went back to his father's home through the cross. The figure of the younger son stumbling his way back to the father from afar, bearing humiliation and pain. Isn't that the picture of the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of this world? who when he was upon the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's the ultimate prodigal son who came so that all of us prodigals can go home to our father. Not only is Jesus the ultimate prodigal son, he's the ultimate elder son. He went out looking for all the younger siblings. Upon the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He welcomed us home willingly. 
And so like every sermon in this year, we come back to the heart of the issue, the gospel, Jesus Christ. Without whom our gathering today has no meaning. And when we understand the gospel, when we understand God's love for us, the text calls us to respond. Do we have the Father's heart? You know, this year I was praying about where, what I should do because I divide my ministry life into every five years okay, so that I don't just sit here and breathe and take my salary, you know. Um, so I prayed. I'm coming to the end of the 10th year, so this fifth year block. So, so am I going to stay here or not? If I stay here, what am I going to do? Because if there's no purpose, then there's no point staying. And so I was praying. I read the story of Henry Nowen. Nowen left his position in Harvard, went to help in this special needs home. And at the, in the transition, he struggled. He says, I came to this special needs home and these people have no appreciation of, of my effort and my intellectual prowess. Right? In Harvard, he had fame. He had all this invitation, people coming to look for him. But when he helped these people with special needs, he says, nothing. He was struggling with his identity and then he saw Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son. In his reflection, a friend shared this with him. He says, the friend said, you know, whether you think you are the younger son or the older son, your calling is to be the father. You know, when I read this, um, I was deeply moved. In all my 30 years, I felt God was speaking to me because in all my 30 years of reading this prodigal son, I never thought I should be like the father. I never thought I was worthy to be like the father. I always thought, man, I'm like the younger son, you know. I want to run away from home, don't come home and do whatever I want, so I cannot be like the younger son. That's the lesson I learned. Or, more often, I'm like the older son. I'm self-righteous. And why are all these people sinning? Don't they see the way how God wants to bless them? You know, I'm judgmental. So the lesson is, don't be like the older son. But I've never felt like I can be like the father. I only felt like I need to go back to the father. But the whole point of the story, right, really is Jesus telling the Pharisees, you need to be like the Father. And so when I read this, I pressed in in prayer. I said, okay, if I'm to stay and my next part of my Christian walk is to be like the Father, what does it mean? So there are a few points I'd like to share. Firstly, is grief. The Father grieved over his sons. He didn't get angry. He didn't want to judge them. He was not wrathful. He grieved. And I find that a challenge. This world has violence, it's unfair. But instead of being angry, being vengeful, trying to get even, he said grief. We need to allow the sins and brokenness of this world, including our own, pierce our heart so that we grieve. And in our grief, we get a glimpse of the Father's heart, the Father's compassion. We grieve over sin instead of getting angry. And in grieving, we pray. Because much prayer is grieving. And every Thursday, I send out the text. If you want, need, need any prayer, right, and I pray for you. I took a break in December, okay, in case you're wondering why you didn't receive. And I find that a lot of time when we're praying, we're grieving. Grieving over your brokenness, your health, and much of prayer is grieving. Not just grief, but forgiveness. The Father showed a heart of Forgiveness. He forgave completely, unconditionally. He was proactive. He ran out to his children. Can I forgive in this way? 
I mean, as a parent, one of the biggest lessons we need to learn is to forgive our children, right? But even when we forgive, sometimes we don't feel like forgiving. In our hearts, we're still hurt. In our hearts, we say, oh, yeah, I wish you really learned the lesson or they paid the price. But to completely forgive is, is not easy. And yet, this is the Father's heart of forgiveness towards us. And when we learn to grieve for others, instead of being angry and resentful, friends, we learn to forgive completely. And in that action, we get a glimpse of the Father's heart. Lastly is generosity, which surprised me. The Father was generous. He gave the son the ring, the sandals, the rope, the, the fattened calf. He didn't hold back. He didn't say, wait till he proves himself that he is really repentant. I give him $100, see if he runs away, you know. Test him first. No, he was generous. He gave, he didn't hold back. And to the older son, even, even more, he says, all that I have is yours. Are we able to be generous in our time, in our love, in our money to others that we think don't deserve it? The heart of the Father is generous. Even after we forgive, are we able to generously love? And so we choose, instead of being like the younger son and older son, we grow to be like the Father. To be like the Father, it means we stay home. Even though we are maybe tempted to run away from home, we don't want to come home, don't want to come to worship, we are tempted to judge others, we choose to stay home to be like the Father so that when the prodigals and the older sons come home, we are there to receive them, to give them a warm embrace and a loving welcome. Because if not us, then who? If not us who have experienced the Father's love, then who? In 2022, last year, our theme was a long obedience in the same direction. We talk about a Christian walk. is to persevere. It's a lifelong journey. This year, we talk about the Father's love and we proclaim Christ to come back to the Father's heart. There you are loved, there you are affirmed, there we say longer, daddy, longer. And out of that, we share the message of love. Friends, we come to the end of the year. And I think these are significant milestones. Don't just let this year slip by. Encourage you to have this spiritual discipline of recounting, remembering what God has done and then re-consecrating your life and the year to the Lord. You think new resolutions are pointless, but I tell you, even if you forget, God doesn't forget. Even you, you keep it for one day, well, it's one day more than not. Once we hit a certain age, you know, if we want to depend on our life circumstances to be happy or joyful, it's almost impossible. Because life's first and highs have already passed us. Your first job, first bonus, first love, first child, you're getting that promotion, completing that project. You know, once you hit a certain point, you, all these are behind you, you know. So you want to wait till something good happens and you're joyful. We cannot. We need to choose by faith to be grateful and joyful, despite the circumstances. Comes to a time where your parents are aging, your loved ones are leaving you behind. There's pain, there's loss, there's grief. Comes a point in time where your whole dreams dies and your hope fades. It's this time that we choose by faith to give thanks and to be joyful. In these times, you feel a sense of yearning. A yearning for something more concrete. A yearning for something more eternal. 
This yearning really is an echo of Eden. We wish life was perfect, but we know it's not. This yearning is a hint of heaven. We want life to be good again, but it will never be. And it's during this time we realize really this yearning is about coming home to the Father. Coming home, come home. Because at the Father's house, we know we are loved, we are affirmed, we are okay. We are in His hands. So come home to the Father's heart. There we can say, longer, Daddy, longer. Let us pray. I'll give us this time, just a short while, to reflect on the areas of our life that you can give thanks to the Lord, what God has done. Areas where you need to come home to the Father. No matter where you are, how far you are, even while you are in the Father's home worshipping, your heart may be far away. It's time to come home. Choose by faith because of the Son of God to be joyful, to give thanks. Father, 2023, you know, it's a year I'll never forget. When my heart is broken, at the same time, I feel like running away, to be far away from home. But I know the place that I must be, I need to be, is in your home, to return to your heart. Because there I know the yearnings of my heart that everything will be made right. The echoes of Eden and the hints of heavens will come through. Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you because you are the way to the Father's heart. Bring us home. Thank you.